A third speaker is uh, Dr Neil Macdonald, who, in addition to being Scottish, is also an anaesthetic fellow at the Alfred Hospital, and he's dangerously close to being a full grown-up person. He looks good in a top hat and wishes to buy one in the future. Neil. Thank you. Uh, top hats look really cool, and they should come up, come back into fashion. That's what I, that's what I think. Uh, all right. So I'm going to talk about August Beer, uh, who pioneered spinal uh, anaesthetics and has also got a anaesthetic block named after him. Uh, I am uh, an anaesthetic doctor, and I love sticking big needles into people. So this guy started all that. Uh, so he was born in 1861 in Helsen in Germany. He nearly failed school because he was too interested in nature. Uh, but he did, he did get to university uh, in Berlin in 1881, where he nearly changed from medicine to zoology, nature again. Uh, he then went on to Leipzig and started practicing, practicing surgery in Kiel uh, in 1888 and becoming the head of their department in 1899, aged 38, which is quite an achievement. He was a very accomplished surgeon. Um, he's got a, a whole load of surgical things that, uh, to his name, but I'm not going to talk about those. He's also known for forestry concepts, of which I know nothing about, uh, but which are apparently still in use today. And uh, He also designed the steel helmet that the soldiers the German soldiers in uh, World War I wore. So he was a man of many talents, and he also opened Germany's first school of sport in Cologne. Now, uh, he... I'll just quickly talk about spinal anesthetics, if, if anyone knows anything about it. Um, they're, they're basically used for, most commonly, caesarean sections, or surgery on your legs, or surgery just below your belly button. So uh, widespread, and it avoids having a general anaesthetic. And that was his thoughts back in the day, because general anaesthetics were really quite dangerous then. They're very primitive. They used things like chloroform or ether, and there was a lot of side effects. So there'd been a lot of work with cocaine, which is actually a local anaesthetic, by um, a guy called Carl Kohler. He was an ophthalmologist, and he devised eye blocks. And actually, uh, Sigmund Freud used a lot of cocaine <laughs> for his patients and himself, actually. He did become an addict, uh, and he used it as an antidepressant and uh, opioid antidote, which doesn't really make sense, does it? Anyway, so in August 1898, uh, Beer did his first operation under spinal anesthetic, and this was in a 34-year-old um, getting an amputation or a resection of his ankle because he had TB in it and there was no antibiotics then so people got surgery for TB and he'd had previous anesthetics this guy and had a lot of side effects so it was a it was a great use for spinal anesthetic and he did it in five other people after that but he wasn't happy with just doing it in patients so with his assistant also August Hildebrandt they performed self-experimentation, which obviously wouldn't happen these days. And when, when I say experimentation, I don't, with cocaine, I don't mean snorting it. I mean sticking it in your back. So 
All right, so uh, August the 21st, um, I'm going to have to quote these things because he documented it so well and the language he used is just gold. Right, so he quotes, Dr. Hildebrandt performed a lumbar puncture on me and injected 1% solution of cocaine. The syringe failed to fit and a lot of cerebral spinal fluid escaped. Most and most of the cocaine injected was lost as well. I don't know if they picked it up off the floor. Uh, no insensibility was achieved. Small incisions and needle punctures everywhere elicited pain. So they went ahead and, or Hildebrandt was stabbing him in the leg. Just, just imagine that. There's better ones. Uh, so he wasn't keen for, to have it done again. So <laughs> Hildebrandt was like, yes, okay, I'm up for it. Or something in German. And so they did it, and there was no spillage this time. Uh, and he documented really well all the tests he did. So at seven minutes, needle pricks in the thigh were perceived as pressure. Tickling of the sole of the foot was barely felt. So not much there. Uh, eight minutes, a small incision in the skin of the thigh was felt as pressure. Introduction of a large, blunt, curved needle. Yep. Into the soft tissues of the thigh produced no pain at all. Fantastic. 10 minutes, a long needle was pushed down to the femur. Mm. Wait for it. Without evoking the least pain, pinching the, pinching the skin severely and seizing and crushing it in tooth forceps was experienced as pressure. 13 minutes, a burning cigar applied to the legs was felt as heat. But not as pain. 18 minutes. Strong pinching was hardly felt at all below the nipples. <laughs> I don't know if they did any tweaking. Uh, 20 minutes. This is where it gets good. Avulsion of pubic hairs was felt simply as elevation of a fold of skin. But avulsion of chest hair above the nipples, obviously a very important line, on the contrary, was very painful. <laughs> 23 minutes. A strong blow to the shin with an iron hammer did not provoke pain. <laughs> Hang on. 25 minutes. Strong pressure and traction on the testicles was not painful. Uh, 32 minutes. Needling down to the femur again. Seemed to like that one. And strong pressure on the testicles were not painful. And by 45 minutes, pain sensibility began to return. So it only lasted 45 minutes, which uh, I'd just like to point out, we don't use cocaine anymore in spinals, so if anyone's pregnant, just about to have a kid, that's not what we do, all right? It lasts longer than 45 minutes, and we don't hit you with hammers. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so <laughs> then he goes on to say, after performing these experiments on our own bodies, we proceeded without feeling any symptoms to dine and drink wine and smoke cigars. <laughs> just imagine it. He then said he went to bed at 11 p.m., slept the whole night, awoke the next morning, hale and hearty, and went for an hour's walk. Uh, Hildebrand, unfortunately, uh, did not. He was restless all night, and let me just turn the page here. Dr. Hildebrand's legs became painful, and bruises developed in several places, <laughs> especially over the tibia, where sensibility had been tested by crushing and heavy blows <laughs> by a hammer. 
Anyway, so he actually finished the journal by saying, I did not feel justified in investigating this further in man. Animal experiments may be necessary. So it's done completely the other way around these days. So animals start first, and then it's humans. <laughs> he was also known for an anesthetic block called the Beers block, which is uh, where a tight cuff is put around the arm, blown up, and then via a vein, local anesthetic, cocaine in this case, is put in and it numbs the whole arm. But there were so many side effects back then that it went out of fashion until the 1960s when newer drugs came in. And it's still used sometimes today. But the spinal anesthetic that he did there, that experiment led on to doing all those operations I was talking about and epidurals, which are great um, pain relief methods as well. So. Now, was he a pioneer in anesthesia? Yes and no. He didn't support the specialization of that um, specialty in anesthesia and never published anything under anesthetics. He's quoted to say, in America, they have preferred anesthesiologists. Even in Germany, this institution is often practiced. Practiced. I can't think of anything more boring. <laughs> this is a bit harsh. And uh, an ethicist is a cheerful idiot who is wasting his time. <laughs> Thanks, August. So <laughs> he was recognized um, for his achievements, not just that, but his surgical stuff. And he received the Eagle Shield of the German Reich and the German National Prize for Arts and Science, which was only one of, ever, of nine ever given. This was a substitute for the Nobel Prize, which Hitler had banned, so no German could get them. He wasn't actually associated with the Nazi party, um, but obviously was on the good side because he didn't want to get chucked out. And his wife had actually been involved in an, an assassination plot to kill Hitler, so... <laughs> nice. If only she succeeded. Um, and he was under the, uh, the care of the Soviet ar army at the end of the uh, Second World War uh, when they came in. So if he'd been associated with the Nazis, he, they would have got rid of him. Anyway, he, um, he died at age 87 in 1949. And he's buried in his beloved forest, which is where he retired to. You know, he's a forestry man as well. And he's buried under a big rock with his name on and his wife's name on. So that's August. Thank you very much. Thank you.